0: Good morning, gang. It's Tuesday, September 1st. Yes, we made it. We're in September and the fall is coming out so soon and the summer is flying away like all time has over the last six months. Good to be here with you this morning. Um, I am hopeful that we can get through our passage today, but it is a real doozy, I got to tell you. And it has a lot, a lot packed in for us today, so I'm excited about it. Um, We are going to be looking at Ezekiel 33, 1 through 20 this morning. Now, um, in case you don't know what we've been doing here for the last number of weeks, I've been taking the time to look at the Old Testament uh, lectionary passage for the week um, and sort of explaining why it fits with the gospel text, which is typically the one preached on. Uh, at churches that use the lectionary, uh, and this week um, the Gospel text is Matthew 18, verses 1 through 20. Now, uh, at first glance, if you read through that passage, which I will not do now for the sake of time, it, it at first glance may seem like it's well, kind of four disjointed passages that maybe don't have too much to do with uh, each other. Uh, The reality is actually uh, you can thank the people that uh, put headings in your Bible for that sense of disjointment. Uh, Because if you just read it straight through and ignore the headings before each section, which there are four in most Bibles, most um, new translations, you just read it straight through. The overarching idea is uh, how to deal with, um, it's talking about Christ's little ones, Christ's disciples. And it really is a way of um, seeking to watch out for God's people, to forgive God's people, and to in turn be a forgiving people to one another. That's really the sort of big gist of the passage. And the big gist of the passage we're going to look at today in Ezekiel, uh, which is all about this figure known as the watchman, is really what the watchman is meant to do, is to look out for God's people as well. Now, little context for you in uh, in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, of course, is written after Judah has uh, been destroyed. Uh, He had been prophesying and warning them that this was gonna happen, and of course, they didn't listen to him, and judgment has come upon them. Uh, And now, when we get to Ezekiel 33, we begin to hear God's steps towards uh, his people's restoration after they have gone through such chaos and such judgment and such hardship. Now we're going to see him uh, begin the process of restoration through his prophet Ezekiel, whom he calls his watchman here. So with that, by way of background, let's go ahead and dig into the text, Ezekiel 33 verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. You probably are getting a pretty clear picture of what is being presented to you right now. The idea is that... There's an an army coming. There's people set up, uh, usually at very high places in ancient kingdoms, to look across the land so that they can see the impending danger, blow a horn, and warn the people to get ready to face their enemy. That's the idea behind a watchman. It's somebody there to warn people, to guard people, to protect people so that they're prepared for what's coming. That's the idea that God wants to uh, have form in Ezekiel's mind for what his job is. And he says here, if after you blow the horn and you warn people, they still don't do anything to, um, to flee or to prepare to fight, well, then you can't be blamed for that. You did your job as the watchman. You, you alerted them. They ignored it. Their blood's on their own head. He heard the sound, verse 5 of the trumpet, and did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman, verse 6, sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Again, the picture is clear. Uh, If the watchman fails, even though he sees the danger coming, chooses not to warn his people that he's been called upon to guard, chooses not to warn them of the impending danger, well, then God is going to hold him responsible for that failure. God is going to hold this watchman responsible for not doing his job to protect the people, to not warn them. Verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. It's another way of saying Judah. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Now, let's just stop here for a second. Uh, to some extent, I think every preacher, every proclaimer of the gospel, everyone called into that particular ministry, hears these words and cannot help but think about our own lives. We can't help but think about what we've been called to do, which is to utter the word of God, no matter how hard it may be to hear, no matter how difficult or challenging it may be for the people that we're speaking to to receive, we we are called to both warn them of the judgment that is to come. Indeed, Paul talks about this, flee from the wrath to come, he says, but also to tell them that there is indeed forgiveness. For their sins and that they do not have to face that wrath because God's own Son Jesus Christ has already taken that wrath upon himself in their stead. This is the message of the preacher. If we fail to do this, if we fail to go out and actually tell people the reality of their situation as rebels against God, to warn them to flee from the wrath to come to the one that can protect them from the wrath to come, then we are failing at our jobs and I don't think I mean you know Ezekiel here is told specifically for his calling like I'm going to hold you accountable if you don't deliver my word I, I don't think that the preacher is ultimately saved or damned based on this I think this is a specific command to Ezekiel after all we preachers are saved or damned based on faith alone in Jesus Christ alone period just like anybody else But I do think we ought to take it seriously in the same way that Ezekiel is being exhorted to take it seriously. And I do think it should cause us to reflect on what it is we are preaching to our people week in and week out. Ultimately, as my friend Rod Rosenblatt says, if we're not preparing people to die, then there's something wrong. We're all going to die and what Christianity is ultimately preparing us for is what will happen at that moment. The ultimate message is not practical life tips for you. The ultimate message of Christianity is not something that you can bring to work with you on Monday morning. No, I mean, as good as those things may be, and the Proverbs have plenty of that kind of wisdom in them, no doubt about it, but listen, If we spend all our time preaching the practical stuff without getting to the main thing flee from the wrath to come to the one that has taken it for you well we fail so God continues with Ezekiel this is the message Ezekiel is to give to the people and you son of man say to the house of Israel thus have you said surely I Our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? So, in other words, the people have recognized their sin. They're owning it. They are confessing it. Our transgressions and our sins are upon us. And because of that recognition, their question is, how can we live? How can we be justified? How can we go on knowing what we've done, that we've rebelled against a holy God? God's response. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Do you hear that? Do you hear the gospel there? The promise of God? It's not my desire that any should perish, Second Peter 3 tells us. God wants all people to come to repentance. And so when these people say, what shall we do? I'm aware that I've completely rebelled, I, I'm aware, I'm worthy of judgment. How can I live? God says, repent. Repent and believe. That's after all what it means when he says turn back. That's literally repent. Repent from your evil ways, for while will you die? O, O house of Israel and you son of man say to your people the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses and as for the wickedness of the wicked he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness and the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins now this is pretty striking and this hints at the way God actually operates in the world. There can be somebody who, generally speaking, lives a pretty darn righteous life, God says. And yet, if he falls at just one point, he won't be justified by that righteousness. And yet, there can be somebody steeped in wickedness to the brim. And yet, if he just turns to Christ for his salvation, he will be saved that's the scandal of the gospel indeed that god knows how to declare wicked people like me righteous on account of jesus christ he goes on in verse 13 though i say to the righteous that he shall surely live yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered but in his injustice that he has done he shall die Ooh, boy, that's the problem. That's the issue, folks. It's not righteousness or doing righteous things in and of itself. It's the trusting in one's own righteousness that is always the problem. Now, we know from the rest of Ezekiel's prophecy that one of the things he condemns in this letter is the religious leadership of Jerusalem or the house of Israel that he really goes off on them and refers to them as bad shepherds who have fleeced the sheep who have abused the sheep who have who have hurt God's sheep God's people and he's angry about it and and especially when we get to chapters 37 and 38 he really goes off on their problems and what they've done to hurt the people of God Ezekiel here says essentially when we think about Well, I should say, as I think about his condemnation, I can't help but think about the religious establishment during Jesus' day. Jesus gives very similar pronouncements that Ezekiel does when he comes across the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and, and all the rest. He says over and over again, Woe to you! Woe to you! Woe to you! Why? Because they were trusting in their own righteousness. And they were teaching everybody under them to do the same And Jesus says no 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 your righteousness in and of itself is filthy rags even your best works are stained by the stain of sin now you need to turn to me and be completely forgiven again though I say to the wicked you shall surely die yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. Now you say, well, Eric, this sounds, this sounds like a little bit of, you know, works righteousness here, doesn't it? I mean, you know, he, he says, he doesn't just say faith here, but he says he needs to restore his pledge and give back to what he, what he has taken by robbery and walk in the statutes of life. Yeah, not doing injustice, yeah, 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 okay. But doesn't that mean that God is saying you have to do something in order to get this forgiveness? Well, here's how I would answer that. Whenever we come across a passage like this, we always have to read it in light of Christ, always. This is what Jesus commands his church to do in Luke chapter 24 and in John chapter 6. He commands us to look at scripture through Christocentric lenses. And so first and foremost, what I would respond is, all of these things are ultimately fulfilled in the person of Christ for us. And all of these things start by faith in Christ who's done these things. Christ has restored the pledge that we did not. Christ has given back what we may have taken by robbery. Christ has walked in all the statutes of life and he has never done any injustice at all. Now, should we pursue that as a result of having that gifted to us by Christ and declared righteous by God? You bet. You bet we should pursue this thing. But like Zacchaeus before us, it's not because Zacchaeus decided to restore all the things he had robbed to people that Jesus came into his home. No, Jesus came and fellowshiped with him before. And it was as a result of the fellowship already had with the Lord that then Zacchaeus was freed to pursue these good works on behalf of his neighbor to restore the things that he had done to wrong them. Closing out the passage here, God says, yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. The, the charge, against the scandalous grace of God that forgives and restores wicked people, while not taking into account the good deeds of supposedly righteous people in and of themselves. The scandal always leads to the thought from many, doesn't this mean God is not just? Indeed, That's what Israel's complaint about God is here. How can you make wicked people into your children? That's what Jonah's complaint was about God when he went to the city of Nineveh. Well, when he at least was forced to go there. He didn't want to. And what does he complain about? I knew you were a God full of mercy and compassion and that you were gonna find a way to forgive these wicked sinners and I don't like them. I don't like them. It's not just, but of course, What we often think of as just really just means good for me, not for thee. (laughs) I get all the things I want and you don't. That's real justice for us most of the time in our minds. And God says, no, 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 I'm the God who restores the wicked and does not take into account man's own righteousness. I'm the God who has to cover the deeds of both the wicked and the righteous in my son, Jesus Christ. And yes, I will judge each one of you, but only those who have received the covering of Christ's righteousness will pass muster in the end. And that's true for us today. Only those who have simply, on account of faith, uh, received Christ's righteousness as their own will pass that bar of judgment when we arrive on that day. And so, like Paul said, and like Ezekiel says here, flee from the wrath to come. You never know what day this world is going to end. But you do know that right now and forever, you have a Savior in Jesus Christ who has promised to forgive you, to restore you, and to give you access into his eternal kingdom forever and ever, no matter what you've done. All right, that is it today. That is the ministry of the watchman. And that is Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 20. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. God's richest blessings upon you. See you next week.